say everything's bigger in Texas, including climate change. That's why Houston is leading the energy transition. Here in H-Town, the fourth largest city in the United States, entrepreneurs from across Texas and around the world are gathering to work with titans of industry to build the technology that will reduce emissions and power a low carbon future. We sit down with those change makers and wildcatters who are solving the toughest energy challenges. With trillions of dollars on the line, we dig into how Houston will bring technology to market on a massive scale. Join us as we talk with the leaders of the energy capital of the world as they show us how the energy transition gets done. I'm Lara Cottingham, and this is the Energy Technology Podcast. And I'm Jason Etier. Let's jump in. All right. So welcome back to the show. We're here on the Energy Tech Show with Mundeep at Electrip. Uh, Mundeep uh, started this company uh, out of school, if I remember. I think I met you at like a Techstars or, yes. or uh, like that in Austin and was just blown away by your energy and the problem you were trying to solve. Um, and it is cool because it involves Teslas, obviously. But please tell us a little bit about uh, Electrip. Yep. So Electrip is for the working professional that really needs to dial in their productivity. When we travel across Texas, which is something that happens all the time, the options that we currently have, flying, taking a bus, driving yourself, you're losing at least an hour's worth of productivity. If you're billing $500 an hour, that's a lot of loss for mm -hmm. the company. On top of the liability aspect and the environmental impact of low occupancy vehicles driving around the state, we wanted a solution that came in, increased productivity, increased safety, and was carbon neutral if possible. And when we looked at Tesla's originally, we didn't know how we could facilitate that solution. The capital expense of a Tesla is extremely high. What's been proven over the last few years is electric is the go-to way for fleets. Mm. And once we figured out how to operationally solve for that, we created electric. Door-to-door -door rides, private, professionally driven in Teslas with Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be productive, you can do that better than with any other solution. Yeah. And, and I think this comes up a lot. How do you, is there range anxiety? Let's start there. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's always, so the irony is that we've sold so many Teslas through the referral program. I think we've generated Tesla more revenue than we've generated in our operation, which is hilarious to me because range anxiety is the number one concern for people adopting electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. And when they see that the cars can go from one city to another, that's the main issue solved. Mm -hmm. And then there's no more barriers to adoption. So I really think range anxiety is the number one barrier to adoption for these vehicles, especially now that there are 2012 Teslas still on the road. Mm -hmm. People aren't concerned about the longevity of the battery life itself. So yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we absolutely solve for that through the experience but yes it's something that we felt yeah. very intensely and 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 i guess it's implied you can get to any city without having to stop and recharge like that that is known well so the most older, cities <laughs> right so the older vehicles you couldn't do that okay. um the newer ones you can mm -hmm. uh and it's ironic because the charge rates have gotten so fast that mm -hmm. it's almost questionable whether or not you want to do the houston dallas trip three and a half hours in the car without stopping but most of the vehicles can now. So it's, uh, technology is really evolving fast. Yeah, I guess the question is, do people still want to stop at Bucky's? That's and, <laughs> and the beauty is that now they have chargers. So yeah. people love Bucky's. It's a great experience. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. Those, those are one of the hidden gems of Texas. It, you got you to have your Bucky's experience once. Yeah. So I had a buddy just fly in. Uh, well, he lives here now from London and he sent me a meme this morning and it was about the daily routine of a Texan. And it had Bucky's, Whataburger, and I forget the last brand, but yeah, they're iconic, right? They're Texas yeah. staples. So I, I don't know if I'm, uh, I'm, I put Whataburger on my daily, but yes. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I know, know if I can do mean. that either. <laughs> um, and and um, 
you know, I think you talked about the business model. Um, is it, it's point to point? It's, yes. yeah, how does, how do, how do people pay for it? Yeah. So it's point to point. You book anytime on our website and you can depart and leave at any time. This is important because let's say you're a consultant and you're going up to a happy hour. Well, driving back is not allowed, especially mm-hmm. if you're an energy company, the amount of safety requirements that you have, even with one or two drinks is, is not allowed. And so that's why we have flexibility with Electrip. Um, it allows you to not have to spend the night in a hotel, you can go mm-hmm. back home to your family, wake up the next morning, send your kids to school. That's a big deal. I mean, we've gotten emails from spouses saying, thanks for having so-and-so back at this time. We really appreciate it. And it's the little things like that where people, I think, start to understand how when you travel, it, you just, you're spending so much time. And it's mm-hmm. so important to travel in Texas because there's so much business between the major cities. So yeah, yeah the point-to-point aspect is, is really big. The ability to depart at any time is really big for us. Yeah. I, I met an entrepreneur yesterday. I think it was yesterday. He uh, is in, you know wanted to get involved in the ecosystem, was coming down to the Ion District, yeah. and he was coming from Bernie. And he said, oh, I can only do this so many times. And if I come, I might even stay overnight yeah. because of that travel challenge. Absolutely. And, yeah. and so it's real, right? And, and the mental the mental toll of driving in Houston is high. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely emotionally exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I, uh, I am the driver um, uh, for the family. And okay. That is yep. like one of the, one of the chores. Yeah, <laughs> so it's rough. It. So how did, you, how did you know this was the business to start? Yeah, so I actually at the same time started another business with a really good friend of mine, Taylor Zhao, a really, really sharp individual, got a dual degree from UT, so he's a go-getter, right? We started a hardware business in solar tracking at mm. the same time or a little before Electra. Mm. And we kept running into roadblocks with that, uh, with funding, with uh, uh, testing the actual product. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, we decided, well, if they're both going to be capital intensive, one of them has a payout, an expected payout five years from now. Mm. And we won't know how close we're getting to creating that value until later on. So the whole idea of failing fast didn't really apply. It became more of a research project. Mm. That's not something we wanted to do as our first entrepreneurial venture. So as far as choosing Electrip, I had multiple ideas in the works. Ultimately, Electrip became very clear to me during an internship at BP. Mm -hmm. So right off of I-10 on their trade floor in Helios, uh, one of the common problems was getting to sites to Mm -hmm. seal deals with clients. Mm -hmm. And the alternative was a $1,200 black car service there and back. Mm There's such a wide margin on that. And once I heard that, with my prior experience with United Airlines, I knew how much it cost to kind of maintain and operate the 737s and some of the more Embraer regional jets. So it it clicked. Mm-hmm. And the path towards profitability was a lot more clear for me. Mm-hmm. As you know, as an entrepreneur, yeah. you're going to run into 20,000 road bumps yep. on the way. But, but the path was clear. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was more clear to me. And so it was easier for me to pursue electric. Yeah. And, yeah. and one of the questions I always like to dig into is, is why is the time now? And, and I think in many ways, it's self-evident, right? There, there is a vehicle. There is the, the battery technology. Right. But, but maybe are there unobvious things that, that, that you learned where you say that this is reason why this was a barrier before? Yeah. So I would say in 2018, mm-hmm. that's when we started doing the market research for Electra mm-hmm. and determining, hey, what market do we want to target? So we started by selling individual seats in the cars, mm-hmm. similar to this model done by Tesloop in California. Mm-hmm. They're no longer in business, but we tried that. Didn't work. One of the most surprising barriers that we had was actually how much Uber and Lyft paid their drivers. Hmm. So back in 2018, 2019, 
an Uber driver could make a pretty good living. Mm. Minus inflation, they weren't paying as much for gas, repairs, et cetera, et cetera. Well, those wages have actually fallen and all the costs of operating your own car have risen. Mm -hmm. So getting good drivers back in 2018, 2019 was actually a significant barrier to entry. Now we've found that it's a lot easier for us to hire drivers and pay them more. Mm. Then my goal was always to pay drivers at least 20% more than the average on Uber and Lyft uh, so that we could hire the best drivers mm. on the market and also so that people could have a living wage. And yeah, it's it's become a lot easier now because people have started to recognize how Uber and Lyft minus their costs is is really below, mm. in some cases, minimum wage. So. Yeah. And, and in many ways, um, Uber and Lyft were subsidizing to get market share. And yes, that they was were. the strategy, right? Absolutely. And they raised, what, $25 billion? Yeah, Uber, yeah. The best funded startup in the last yep. decade. Yeah. yeah. And, and so in, in some ways, what changed is the supply market changed. Yes. Uh, from, a, from a driver perspective. And so you, you, it would have been too hard to compete earlier. Correct. Uh, and, and so that's a, an interesting nuance that you wouldn't know unless you're in it. Egg, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. D is there, um, with all the kind of self-driving, uh, or I should say, uh, uh, driver aid, you know, 2.0 uh, technology, does that is that better or 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 worse for drivers, or is uh, that too far in the future to think about? So <laughs> it depends because uh, I think the problem with computer vision mm -hmm. is that the very few things are actually exponential. Yep. Everybody loves to say, "Oh, this is exponential." Computer vision is, in my opinion, the way Tesla does it is exponential. They just have so much data. They have so many mm. miles. Every new Tesla that's being sold then gets them more data, more miles driven. And if you look at their miles driven data, mm. it is exponential. So the rate at which they improve self-driving is uh, is up there. But I have videos of my mom, like we turn on autopilot, full self-driving, and she's just freaking out because it's so <laughs> unnatural. It's like, yeah. it's like they learn how to drive from a Houston driver. Like mm. it's just not a calm, relaxing experience. And that's one of the key aspects of Electrip is that you can focus on your work. Yeah. So from a driver perspective, I think the driver aid definitely helps. There's lots of root mundane tasks mm -hmm. that you can automate out, such yeah. as keeping your vehicle centered in the lane and keeping a certain distance from the vehicle in front of you. What that allows our drivers to do is then look out for road hazards mm -hmm. a lot more proactively than if they were also having to do these other things. And yeah, maybe it's only five, 10% of your mental compute, but it's still enough to where maybe now you don't notice that mm. piece of debris in the road and you have to jerk last minute. So self-driving is already having immediate impacts, but to the point at which it replaces the driver yeah. and it becomes irrelevant to the driver, ah, that's a hard one. Yeah, that's I'm, tough. I'm curious because you're in a position to know, like, do you see it reducing OPEX or insurance costs? Or, so like, the insurance companies practical? are assholes. Uh, <laughs> they, yeah. <laughs> They don't. They don't adjust for stuff like this yeah. as proactively as they should. But you could. Uh, I guess my question is: Are you able to see it in your operating data, or do you just not have anything to compare? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So, yeah. when you ask that question, yeah. I assume you're asking me if I just replaced all my cars with gas non-Teslas. Yeah. And how would that affect my cost? Uh, so it's very common. Not so Pepsi, right? Yeah. They they want to buy as many Tesla semis Tesla semis as they can manufacture because it's so clear that from an opex perspective. EVs are the way to go. Mm. So the number of moving parts that you need in a gas car to move forward laterally is like 154. Mm. In an EV, it's 17. And four of those are the tires. Yeah. So in terms of what could go wrong, it's so much less. Mm. In terms of, we were just talking about your laptop, right? To service it, you'd have to put it in for a week. That's huge for fleets. Yeah. Right? If you have to service a car and it's it's grounded for a week, 
So yeah, absolutely. There's a clear advantage that EVs are are the future from a fleet perspective, and it's hilarious to me because people always advocate the environmental benefits of EVs, mm-hmm. and they should just hammer the opex benefits because I think that's what drives adoption. Yeah, and and that's what you know. That's kind of your uh, unfair advantage in the market. Yeah, know? absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, that's good. Is there anything else you want to share about Electrip that um, that makes you excited for its future? Yeah. So Electrip was not funded. It wasn't VC backed for the longest time, mm-hmm. uh, especially in all of 2019. Mm-hmm. And even now, our fu- our funders are private investors. Mm-hmm. So we had to come up with very innovative solutions for all of our problems. Mm-hmm. If you don't have enough cars, normally a, a, a lean startup would not own any assets. Yeah. Electrip owns their own assets, right? So we had to find ways to increase our capacity to match demand a little better. Same thing with parking, charging, maintaining these vehicles. So as we continue to grow and as our ride volume goes up, our team is extremely innovative and mm. we've been coming up with solutions that each one in themselves could be its own startup. And as fleets become, electric vehicle fleets become a lot more ubiquitous, mm. I think Electrip's going to have the solution ready to go for somebody that, for example, a Waymo, mm-hmm. that says, I want to move 500 self-driving electric vehicles to Houston. Who's going to help me do that? And Electrip will be there to mm. do that mm. and to facilitate that. So. Uh, one of the ironic parts about Electrip is that it doesn't have very many barriers to entry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just obvious if you look at our business model. So ultimately what it comes down to is how fast do we move? How innovative are we? Mm-hmm. How much can we create cool solutions to bring our costs down and to maintain a certain quality of the ride experience? And that's what we're good at. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would add one more. In, informing the market of the value. Oh, yeah. It's always is like the hardest yeah. part, right? <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I think once you get into one, yeah. it makes sense. But until then... Like, ah, I'll just drive myself. I'd, li- I'd rather have my car with me. And then it's the first trip that you do in an electric versus driving yourself mm. or taking a Vaughn lane. And you realize, okay, yeah, this, this is a lot is better. Really valuable. Yeah. yeah. Did, uh, I think you were telling me a little bit before the show about uh, some of the challenges uh, going through COVID. Tell us a little bit about how that was because everyone's business had to respond differently. Yeah, yeah. So we shut it down. Yeah. So we shut down electric. For a while, we did essential rides, but ultimately, what I realized was we weren't growing at a rate Mm -hmm. that justified running the business. From a personal perspective, Mm -hmm. we weren't growing fast enough and we weren't learning fast enough. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't enough shifts. It's ironic, right? Because everybody says during COVID, everybody had to pivot. We learned so much. Some people have these awesome stories about how they get out of COVID and they realize that they created these new revenue streams. And absolutely electric could have done all of those things. So I'm not trying to make Mm -hmm. an excuse for that. But it got to the point where we would put in 10 units of effort and get out one unit of result, whereas before it was 10 units of effort, five units of results, right? Sure, so sure. It, it just, th- there were such diminishing returns that we wanted to learn elsewhere. So we, we did new businesses, mm. we meaning my team, new new career paths, things like that. And so yeah, mm, it, it's a bit of a cop out to your question, but yeah. it is what we did. It's the honest truth. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's a hard decision, right? Because you, you have to mothball everything. Did you have concerns about uh, doing that effectively or, or what it would take to restart? And like, t- like talk us through that, how that thought process went. Because yeah. I know it's hard. When I, when I went through my chapter seven, I was, I was thinking to myself, there is no way to, for my business to restart it because of the, the, the level of effort it took for us to develop technology. Yours is different because the, the barriers are different. But walk us through what you're thinking or feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, yes, the startup for technology development is, that's intense. Yeah. yeah. 
um, for a product like Electrip, it's a little easier to restart. All the yeah. infrastructure is still there, and we don't have to innovate at a certain rate. Yeah, to where stopping is as detrimental. So, um, but it was difficult because there's a certain reputation that mm. Electrip tries to build in terms yeah. of consistency and availability. That was what I was the most scared of. Mm. But I knew that running a fleet at half capacity or just like a low level of capacity would actually be worse. And actually, when we did a soft launch mm. in November of last year, we kept running into that mm. where every time somebody would request a ride between Austin and Dallas, operationally, it's just extremely difficult for us because mm. we closed our Austin office. Yeah, And it got to the point where I realized that if I don't just completely shut down or at least uh, reduce the number of rides that we offer, people would eventually start to, the brand image would eventually start to degrade. Yeah. So. And, that, and that's the right decision, right? Like you yeah. had the data, you saw the performance, and it's like you said, the, the amounts of effort versus the outcome. Right. I think that's that's always a hard thing for a, a founder is, you know, you, you, especially when you want something to work, you have to rationalize and say, what what is the information telling me? What is the market telling me? What yeah. is operations telling me and 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 it's a, a lot of times with startups timing is half of everything absolutely right? yeah and and it's it, like uh, i want to say like one of the things i was impressed with was, was you had that frame of mind to say look this is what information is telling us and we know we can make that rational decision to come back yeah and um uh, i assume you had like assets that you were able to put on hold which also which also helped it it did help um but from a personal perspective right because that's yeah. part of what you asked me i mean it was extremely it was the most challenging time uh as a young you know mm. business person because uh so much of my identity was circled around the oh, success yeah. of electric right it's very easy to be the ceo of something that's growing you know 40 percent a month it's very difficult to be the founder or ceo of something that from like our revenue from March 2020 to April 2020 shrunk by 98%. Yeah. Oh and it stayed gosh. there, right? So That's, I think, yeah, yeah, like I think in April we made $500, which yeah. was, it's like crazy. Um, yeah. So, so it is pretty crazy. Um, and from a personal perspective, I'm actually very glad it happened, but this is very much in hindsight. I think it's ironic that we tell people to be the CEO of their companies when they're very young because of the amount of liquid cash mm. available in the market i think that is tr the right advice as capital is drying up though it may not be because yeah. you make so many low level mistakes but you're burning a disproportionate amount of cash and so it actually helped me quite a bit from a personal level because i was able to slow everything down right go to therapy which yep. is yep. like <laughs> not it. a com like no yeah. no one at Techstars told me to go to therapy yep. but it's something that you should do uh I think as a as a younger mm. founder, because there's so many aspects of being a founder that you're almost not ready for, and you don't, and unless you've been in environments where you have clear role models that you can emulate, mm. a lot of times you don't know how you should emotionally respond to certain things. Mm. Um, mm. And so, yeah, so this is long winded answer. All of this to say, the slowdown helped me on a personal level become a lot better leader, and now I'm a lot more confident in saying that if electric gets to that same growth rate, I can handle it and keep it going. So. Yeah, I, I think um, th there's, there's a couple of things in there to unpack. Like I, I definitely feel with first time founders and, 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 and young uh, innovators, you do get so conflated with your company Yes, because you got to you got to prove yourself. Right. Yep. Like and we all feel that I felt that. And uh, it's it's hard to say, did I you know, is this a market issue or is this because I didn't work hard enough? And, and I think we all have that 
reflection we have to to have. Yeah. And it's it's so valuable to have um you know a group of advisors around you if it's a you know if it's if it's therapist and it's a coach who can can give you that that wisdom that they've developed. Right. And that's almost the first thing I tell first time founders is build an advisory board around yourself because those those are the people who support you. So so that you can make those right decisions, you can grow the right way and it's it's one of those things they don't teach you in startup school <laughs> right no that's very well put no they right? don't they don't they teach you you know how to fail fast they teach you how to look at unit economics but um your team is is the staff who work with you but your team is also that brain trust around you um and then that peer network that 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 kind of supports you and and it's so important to invest in yourself that way um and, and it takes a while to to learn unfortunately by accident sometimes right um right so yeah, it, I definitely like relate to that. I remember when we were um, winding down my business and, and making that decision to to go to chapter seven. Um, I, I had I, I kept thinking of all of the things I had to do to support my staff and do what was right by them, and needed to look at the situation objectively and say, "This is the right choice for everyone," because yeah. the reality is here, and it's not about what I you know need you know. It's not about me grinding more. I agree. I yeah. think one cool nuance to add to that, yeah. and I'll be curious yeah. to know what your perspective is on this or your experience. Um, so I met your I met your wife, and yeah, uh, Yoni. Yep. yeah, I was because one of one yeah. of the things that I've learned in the last few months yeah. is that if you don't create that board of trustees and advisors, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about from a formal perspective like your board, but if you don't create that support structure, you. I ended up relying too much on my personal connections, mm. and that burnt them out, and it affected our relationships. And so I, I'm sure, and I know there's some aspect of it to where your friends are there to support you. They're going to be there for you, but they don't also fully understand what you're going through, mm-hmm. which I found further amplifies the burnout yeah. for those relationships. Whereas if you're talk, if I talk to you about mm-hmm. something, you know, yeah, it, it's it's very different of a experience for you to hear it because you're not freaking out and saying like, oh my god, everything's on fire. <laughs> this is terrible. You're more empathetic in that you've been there yeah so i don't know if you're do you have a similar or if you've had yeah, an experience well, like that well, I, I think that's why it's it's so important for founders to work with each other and get to know each other and build that peer network is uh because we've we've all had that same challenge of raising money of having to hire and fire for the first time of having to yeah. make decisions with limited like with zero information um yeah zero information is good. <laughs> zero information i've heard someone compare entrepreneurship to chess and i was yeah. like that's the worst analogy ever because you have it's zero sum perfect information mm-hmm. entrepreneurship is it should be uh multiplicative and you really don't know what the hell's going on yeah i'm, yeah. I'm gonna do a callback um i feel like entrepreneurship is a bit like playing starcraft okay <laughs> that's <laughs> awful <Where, of> <laughs> but you don't know how many other players they are and you don't know how much of a head start they yes have. and um i'm just remembering uh, it took me a while to realize you have to make your little zerglings and go out into the fog of war and, and see, see what's up, yeah. just see what's going on, so you can decide where you're gonna pool resources. Um, oh, but that's, that's so good. That's a big callback. No, that's so good. <laughs> and to be clear, I was terrible at StarCraft, so you know. And I'm I'm, I'm glad that you're you're saying now is the time to do it again. Um, yeah. And and one of the things I'm uh, I'm amazed about, I'm, I'm time checking myself. I'm I'm amazed with um, that that you are able to run this with a team of four. Right. And and is uh, is it because the Teslas are low maintenance or because are, are you working with partners who help you out? And obviously drivers are not part of that team before. Right. No, no. They're yeah. independent contractors. So the reason why we're able to do it is because we've optimized things so, mm. so well to this point where it, it just, we can mm. automate so much. 
that. Yeah. It's a bit of a boring answer, and it's usually the obvious one, but it is what it is. Yeah. It's doing what you you need to do versus what you can yeah. uh, outsource and partner. Correct. So, yeah. and and remind me, you were at UT, which is in Austin. <laughs> yes, not University <laughs> of uh, Ohio or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and you did this um, uh, while you were uh, you started up while you were in school. Uh, you did tech stars there, but then you came to Houston. And I'm trying to remember if you're from Houston. So I am from Houston. Yeah. I came to Houston for financial reasons, right? Yeah. During COVID, it's just, I can't live in Austin. Mm. So I was in Houston. And then as we relaunch, we're relaunching out of Houston. Most of our clients actually that stuck after COVID are in mm. Houston. Energy sector is doing pretty well right now. So uh, it is, uh, well, relative. But yeah, it's uh, that's why I'm here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And are there things that are different in the ecosystems that you've noticed now yeah. that you had time there and here? Tell us a little bit about what's different. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to find talent in Austin. Okay. I think it's a lot easier to find your co-founder in Austin. Mm -hmm. um, but I think when people think of entrepreneurship, they always assume it with a VC-backed mm -hmm. startup. Houston is not like that. Mm -hmm. Houston is filled with insane entrepreneurs, insane tech entrepreneurs that nobody knows about because they built their business, sold it, never raised funding, <laughs> and it's that's just who they are. Yeah. And you'll you'll meet them every now and then. Um, you know, at River Oaks or something, and you'll ask them, what did you do? And it's, oh, I created the first voice over IP phone switch. Mm. And it blows my mind because that's somebody that I really idolize, but I couldn't find that guy mm -hmm. in Austin hmm. um, as, as often, right? Because they're, if they've created something in Austin, it's a lot harder to get access to them, ironically, mm. because everybody knows what they've done and everybody wants access to them. Mm -hmm. So that's one small caveat that I've seen in the ecosystem. And, and you, one of the things you said was it's easier to find a co-founder in Austin. Was, is that a function of where you were in life? Or is that because people in Houston have a different mentality? Yeah, I think it's probably the first mm. in that I had access to UT. Okay. And that is a phenomenal, phenomenal ecosystem, especially now. You know, it's been built up for quite a while. Um, and so, yeah, that's yeah. probably yeah. why. I don't think people in Houston have a different mentality. I would say that maybe there are more people in Houston that want to build a brick and mortar mm -hmm. business, which mm -hmm. is again often looked down upon by VC start, you know, just backed people and that ecosystem. But I mean, that's cool too. Yeah. I, so I think one of the things I, I heard that you say is when you, when you were starting Electrip, you also were looking at different business models and yes. testing. And in many ways, you you're finding co-founders to help do that testing with. Mm -hmm. I think Houston's different in that you have entrepreneurs who want to do one thing and That's they, they want to own it and take it to the end which yes. and not necessarily involve capital partners. And so there's a little bit of a difference in philosophy that maybe makes the entrepreneurs here less open to partnering on problem solving Yes, um, because they, they already have a market thesis that they're just working on. That's a great point. And I think because they want to drive that one idea to completion, it's a lot harder to give up control. Yeah. Because, and, and partner. Right. Yeah. And so that, that is a, a unique difference. Um, so what's something that you're proud of that you've seen here in the Houston ecosystem? Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of cool how much importance the actual mayor of Houston, uh, the outgoing yeah. mayor of Houston has put into startups mm -hmm. in general. And that close that plus the closeness with uh, industry partners mm -hmm is very unique. Mm -hmm. uh, in Austin, there are not as many established legacy industry partners mm -hmm. that you can work with. Uh, obviously, Dell, Intel, mm -hmm. Apple, they're all there. Everybody's there. But it's a little different with Houston. You can work with a company, solve a very specific problem, mm -hmm. 
and you kind of already have your customer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You almost already have a customer that exists. Yeah. All you have to do is build the solution for them. And then sometimes you have to convince them that that's the solution they've always wanted. But <laughs> but it's there's a demand for things there. Yeah. Whereas in Austin, yeah, it's definitely more A-B testing. You have to hmm. find what the problem is. It's not as obvious. Yeah. So, so A-B testing, is, is, is that true for consumer? I know that's true for consumer. Does that include like the enterprise customers? I would even? say so. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But again, my experience is limited mm-hmm. in that I've created one B2B product. This is a very limited yeah. scope and perspective. If you talk to somebody who's made three or four companies, maybe they would have a different. Yeah, yeah. It, are there any hidden gems in Houston around there, the ecosystem? Yeah. There are so many. Yeah. It's kind of hilarious to me that people, because Houston is so big, mm. you have to drive everywhere. You have to get around. I think the Houston ecosystem, the one irony is that they may not want you to partner with them on their idea. It might be a little mm. bit harder for you to convince them mm. to become partnerships. But there are so many people that are looking to build friendships yeah. that it's relatively easy. And Houston has everything. Mm-hmm. You, world-class opera, mm-hmm. awesome gun range, <laughs> incredible <laughs> Vietnamese food, right? It, it's You can keep going All on right. and on. Throw it on the gauntlet. Where is the best bon mi in Houston? Oh, man. <laughs> you can't do that. It's, <laughs> All right, I'll tell you, they don't, they're don't. they not around anymore. Les Gravales in Midtown. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was my, my the other leg of my Houston stool of places to go. Man, that's awesome. Do you know why they closed down? Uh, I'm not going to say on the air. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. They, well, it was one of these places where you can get this whole sandwich, and it was tasty. It had the pate, and it was also only two, uh, 275 Right. And, and you go looking at, at this, the line would, would go out the door for 20 minutes and you go, how did they make any money? The answer was they didn't make money. That's probably why they went out of business. But they had been there for 12, 15 years. Okay. I think I know where this story is going. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I can kind of guess based so. on what Houston businesses do. But yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Who knows? So, um, no. Do you have a play, favorite place or? I Yeah. So, um, and favorite restaurant, yeah? Yeah. So I'm a huge pizza rat. Like, okay. I love pizza. Gypsy Poet oh, is Gypsy world Poet. class. Yeah. Do you agree? I've been there. It's awesome. It's, it's uh, uh, and, the, and the, the the couple that run it are just hilarious. Yes, so, they yeah, are. It's, but it's funny because sometimes you'll go and it's closed and it's like they're backpacking somewhere. Yeah. It's like, All right, uh, whatever. We'll wait do, for you to come back. Do, do your best life. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you think about um, Houston, are, are there places where there are significant gaps? Uh, maybe it's a challenge for early stage entrepreneurs. Uh, I I mean, you can just the mm-hmm. cop out is fundraising. Yeah, it's it's not as available. Mm-hmm. But I think if you have a in Houston, you can't lose money for three years. Yeah, if you go to investors and say, "We plan on losing money for three years. We're going to create the world's best water bottle startup," it's just going to laugh at you because they know how hard consumer packaged goods are. They know how hard it is to get shelf space, et cetera, et cetera. So that's going to be difficult. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they like cash flowing businesses. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. But yeah. That, the beauty of that is if you have a clear business model and you think it's going to grow, there's so much capital here. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of capacity to fund those businesses. So yeah. I, there, There's a part of me that wonders if that comes out of oil and gas. And I keep thinking some oil fields do take longer than three years to yes, fund. Yes, they do. But I think folks also understand very readily if you you know drill a well and, and sput it. Oil is going to come out if you're right or wrong. That's and, right. And you can build a financial model off that pretty quickly. Absolutely. Um, and, and it kind of points to, I think, some of the, oil, uh, the, the investors in Houston don't like technology risk. And, and they like understanding business model risk. And, and again, getting back to cash flow, 
But if there's a big question on if it takes more than three years to get this water bottle out, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, which is which yeah. is so opposite, right? Yeah. Because without some type of technology barrier in Austin and San Francisco, it's very difficult to get funding. Yeah. So there's some aspect of uniqueness to Houston that I, that gives it an advantage. Yeah. yeah. And and I, and I think it's something the community, the investor community here wants to learn because we all realize in the energy transition, there will be advantage technologies that need to be funded. Absolutely. Right? And so I, I think uh, folks recognize it. Um, being here in Houston, we, we all have personal experiences with climate. Do you have a personal climate impact story where it's, it's changed your life? Yeah. So there are beautiful places all around the world. I've been very fortunate in college to be able to go to these places mm-hmm. because of pace competitions mm-hmm. The awesome energy companies here that'll sponsor trips and stuff. I remember going to, uh, I won't say the exact city because I don't want to ruin the experience, <laughs> but I remember going to this beautiful city mm. and within 20 minutes, my nose just was bleeding mm. because the pollution was so bad in my body. I'd never experienced concentrated pollution of that mm. level. So this isn't a atmospheric CO2 experience that I can share with you, but in terms of tailpipe emissions, localized emissions, it was so bad. People always talk about how electric vehicles are really bad for the environment. And I mean, any, I mean, there are some truth to that, but localized emissions are awful. Yeah. And if you can move them outside of the city, that is great. Yeah. And, I, and I'm a huge proponent of that because there's these beautiful places all over the world that are getting ruined. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's not fun to go. People that are of lower income, they can't do anything about the air they breathe. They can't buy a $300 air purifier. They make $6,000 a year, right? Yeah. Yep. So they can't spend 5% of their income on that. So, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things that I, I think about. And it in, impacted me, and I get to fly away mm. after, you know, my vacation. So people can't. Yeah. So. No, I, I had a similar experience. My uh, grandmother's family is in Taipei, and I remember going yes. there. And it's just, um, I would have, like, a layer of soot on my face when I'd come in. Which is wild. It's just, it's, doesn't happen in the U.S., doesn't happen in Houston. And, and the other kind of compounding factors, we didn't have central air. Like everything was like these little uh, split split valves, and, yes. and as a result, the family always kept the windows and doors open, right? And so it's just all that would always come in, and and it, it is a very different experience. And it was all that localized point source pollution, pollution right? Yeah. And and those are the big things that change when we when we transition our um, our energy and infrastructure. Yeah, so, and I'm looking. I mean, yeah. that's really optimistic, right? Yeah, the world has a lot of natural beauty. Yeah, so. yeah. No, I appreciate that. Um, when we think about um, everyone's always talking about IRA and, and things like that. It, do you, you know, there's clearly a lot of capital coming into this industry to support electric vehicles. Yeah. How does that, how does that affect your pitch, frankly, to investors? So the way that electric funded was very different. Mm. We took a very, very unique approach to funding and it helped us increase our valuation pretty significantly. And it centered around how we finance our vehicles mm-hmm. and the IRA is going to help. Mm-hmm definitely increase the adoption of electric vehicles because of all of the subsidies that are flooding in, not only for the vehicle itself, but the chargers and mm-hmm. the infrastructure. I take, I'm, I actually side with Elon Musk's approach on this mm-hmm. or his argument in that nobody needs subsidies in this environment. Mm-hmm. But uh, see, this, this is tricky for me because yeah. I don't think that it's helping me on a personal level, so I don't yeah. want to talk shit about it, but it's also like, <laughs> As a as a philosophy or as a, as a moral stance, I know that there are so many industries that get subsidies, but I don't think that any of those are justified. Mm. So it is difficult for me. Um, yeah. I, I, but so the reason why I'm saying this is because 
the technology the technology itself the core technology it's getting funding as well but that's not what the focus is it's for companies that now need the subsidies in order to survive so mm-hmm. they waited so long to invest in electric vehicles and, and in infrastructure that they're behind the chinese companies mm-hmm. that have been doing it for decades and definitely behind tesla yeah so it's a little interesting to me yeah. one of the things they did in the ira was any hybrid with more than i think 9 kilowatt hours of battery mm-hmm. life has full access to the subsidy which could then actually slow the transition to fully electric to fully vehicles. electric yeah because now now your hybrid hummer <laughs> can qualifies subsidize. right yeah 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 no i i understand uh it's it's one of those things because you know giving getting a subsidy doesn't necessarily take it away from someone else right and and all the other industries do have have extant historic subsidies and so it's uh now that it's here use it Right? Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of where we're at. Which is, and yeah. that's why I can't give you a clear answer on it. Because yeah. from a moral perspective, I do disagree with it, but it, it does yeah. help, and so it's it's tricky. Yeah. So uh, as we start to um, uh, think about decarbonizing or tra- uh, transitioning our um, our transportation ecosystem, that's not a word. <laughs> our transportation infrastructure. Um, are there things that should be done to accelerate um, uh, adoption? Hmm. Yeah, I think so. The battery pack sizes can be reduced mm-hmm. significantly, which will increase the amount of manufacturable electric vehicles that exist. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the thing that's needed is more charging infrastructure at apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. So we need to incentivize. So I'll give you an example. There's a Tesla supercharger at an HEB uh, close to Midtown, right? Mm-hmm. That thing is always full. Mm-hmm. It's always full. Because it's so convenient to be able to grocery shop and charge your car. Yeah, that needs to exist at a more localized level. So Anup Parikh, he has his own company it's called Pangea Charging, and that's his biggest sales pitch to these infrastructure projects or apartment complexes. Is that this is actually now going to change consumer behavior, and they will pay more rent. Yeah. So there needs to be some level of education around property owners understanding that yes, there is actually a huge advantage to electric vehicle infrastructure mm-hmm. being built for localized use. Yeah, especially for for younger um renters who will demand that. They a- yeah. absolutely yeah. will. Yes. Yeah. Good. Um so as we start to to wrap up here, um I want to ask um as we think about climate and climate change, um is there any sort of uh wildlife that you would like to preserve or you think it's just really important that kind of represents what we're we're working towards? Yeah. I I mean <laughs> This is a pretty hardy plant, but yeah. rosemary, yeah. for sure. I, I love it. Italian is my favorite food, and they'd be sad if it died. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, rosemary, for sure. Yeah. Like, that's my go-to. Yeah. It's, it's just uh, it's one of those things that you got to appreciate that just is out there in the wild and in the, in the world. That yeah. We, we need to um, be conscious of. No, absolutely. At UT, they have rosemary bushes. Oh, okay. uh, so I would take it and cook with it at yeah. my place. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, it was great. It was an awesome flavor elevator. Yeah. Um, I have a little, uh, I have rosemary uh, in my front yard and I like to give it a little like head rub. So that you can kind of. <laughs> so I can get it like it goes so in the cool. air, it gets in my hands. I love it. Yeah. Um, I don't think they, my rosemary survived the breeze that we That's had. It's very sad. Yeah. It's, That's really sad. It's just the, the, the extremes on climate, even in the local weather, um, can do that. Right. Uh, and it's, it's getting more pronounced, right? Yeah. Like it's measurable. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the, the highs and lows. And it's, that's kind of what challenges some of the, the, um, you know the the flora we have here, right? Because um, it's it it hasn't been that extreme for the last hundred years. That's very interesting. Yeah. So that's 
Balance. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to slide a couple degrees. It's just it's, the delta. It's, it's the delta of the the high, the hottest hot and the coldest cold. And and there's a lot of because the, I guess the climate um, and uh, weather patterns are transitioning. It it it, it translates to more uh, risk is the wrong way to describe, but variability, volatility, right, uh, right. in the low, in the weather patterns. It's uh, I was uh, Laura, who's not here today. She was telling me. Um, we had a tornado watch this week. Yes, we did. What, we had what, to cancel rides because of it. Yeah. Like, do tornadoes happen in January? I, I don't think so. Exactly. Never, like, growing up, I've never seen it. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that, that's part of the that's part of the climate weather thing changing. Right. And it's it, it usually you don't see tornadoes till March or April, but here we are in January, and it, it's going to happen more. So, is food scarcity something that people are starting to pay attention to now? Because the variability in weather, volatility in Vol- weather is yeah. going up. Yeah. I, I think you see it in prices. So uh, Federico, who runs Moonflower Farms, uh, he has a he has a hydroponic farm out and on outside of uh, Houston. Oh, th- I've seen him on yeah. YouTube. I think yeah, yeah. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah. He was telling me he lost all his basil. That's awful. And and what? so basil is up five times in value because that's what people wanted to pay for it. Um, his iceberg lettuce growing well, but there are these individual crops that get affected by local weather, mm. and you do see it show up. Kind of in the spot market because everyone wants their fresh basil, not their dried basil. Yeah. And um, I bought his last basil plant. So. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I know. It's <laughs> part of it supporting him. You're so. speculating on basil futures. Yeah. I, I ate the, the basil future. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair. Um, so, as as you look forward and you look forward to the next year, like I'm, I'm excited for where Electrip is going. What is one thing our audience could do to support you? Yeah. Um, I think right now on our website, you can go and this is a cop out, but you can go and book a ride. (laughs) Go for it. I think you would love the experience once you see Mm -hmm. how just relaxing it is, how much more work you Mm -hmm. can get done. We've had people tell us that Electrip helps them be more productive than they are in the office Mm -hmm. because no one's uh, gossiping and blah, blah, blah and bothering you and pulling you into meetings. You just can't go to the meeting. You just have to work. So try out the service, try out the experience. And if you know someone traveling, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm more than happy to... uh, get that referral and, and set them up with a ride. So yeah. if you watch the podcast and you tell me that you watch the podcast and you connect with me, yeah, we'll hook you up with a free ride. Nice. Nice. All right. Free ride. I'm going to put that on the LinkedIn post. Absolutely. Tell us what the website is. www.electrip.us. All right. And it's not because I'm super patriotic. It's because the .com <laughs> domain is super expensive. All right. Cool. Um, do you have any departing thoughts before we wrap? Uh, yeah, I think that this is cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you for doing stuff like this because it shows entrepreneurs that they're not so alone. Mm-hmm. It shows younger people that there are older people that are trying their best to work on the environment. And uh, yeah, I think it'd be great to keep building this Houston community. I love Houston. I love the people. I love the opportunity that, that Houston in this country provides to us. So it's uh, awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for being here, Mudeep. This is fantastic.